You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catholic Saints. My name is Taylor Kemp. I'm the director of Formed, and with me is Dr. Elizabeth Klein. Dr. Klein, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me. Continuing to fill out our incredible saints calendar. Today we are talking about Saints Perpetua and Felicity. Dr. Klein, who are these saints? So Saints Perpetua and Felicity are martyrs. Uh, okay. They were martyred around the year 202. Um, Very early. They're they from Roman North Africa. So okay. they were martyred in this ancient city of Carthage, which is now in ruins, but is um, in modern-day Tunisia. And I just thought I would say a little bit about North African Christianity in the in the early church. I think a lot of people don't know about it. Nope. Um, but in fact, almost all of our most famous early Christian writers in the West come from North Africa. Augustine. So Tertullian, <laughs> Cyprian, Augustine. This is one of the most uh, sort of famous early Christian texts where it describes the passion of perpetual felicity. Why, why is this such a hub of major Christian figures? Who knows? Christianity's vibrant there. Like, They're too busy at Rome to write things. Was <laughs> education? Uh, I mean, Carthage is a very wealthy, there? important city. Okay. Uh, so, you know, in Roman history, Carthage is the sort of big enemy of Rome. The oh. Punic Wars are fought against Carthage. Okay. Uh, it was a very wealthy trade city okay. and sort of had its own uh, culture. Um, and so, I mean, some of it may just be the circumstances of history. It's hard mm -hmm. to know. But we actually don't have very much writing in the early period from Rome. We have a lot more so from North Africa. So, um, so yeah, so these saints are then, of course, very, very famous. They're named in the Roman canon. Yep. So the long prayer at Mass, when they name all the saints, you get mm -hmm. uh, perpetual felicity. We have many homilies. Augustine, for example, preached on their feast day. Uh, and so, yeah, so they were, they were very well known. Um, and the reason that they were so well known is because of this beautiful text uh, called The Passion of Saints Perpetua and Felicity. Okay. We don't know who wrote it. Some people think Tertullian wrote it, but I just think it's like he's the only other North he African. He was writing a lot of stuff. He was so. writing a lot of stuff. He's around yeah. at the time. You know, it's not a big Christian community, so he could have theoretically yeah. written it, but we don't know who wrote it. Um, but it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty much unique among early Christian documents because uh, it actually, at least purportedly, contains writings of Perpetua herself. Um, so Pretty she cool. wrote, like, they call it the prison diary. So mm -hmm. they, whoever compiled the passion says, okay, now you're going to hear Perpetua's own words. And we have a whole section that's reportedly written by her. And then we also have something reportedly either written or conveyed by one of the other martyrs, Satyrus, who's martyred with them. So okay. obviously there's lots of debate whether or not she actually right. wrote it or, you know, whether or not the editor of the whole text has you know, maybe change parts of it or whatever, or whether or not a woman would be well educated enough to actually write it yeah. and all these things. I, I mean, I don't think there's any reason to be like hyper suspicious yeah. of it, especially because it is so weird. Like you yeah. wouldn't, doesn't seem like it'd be easy you to fake something that's together, yeah. so unusual. So yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible, like writing in the ancient world obviously is usually dictation. Mm -hmm. So whether or not somebody changed it after or edited it or whatever, yeah. Pos quite possibly they did, but I think it's very real realistic that yep. she actually, it's actually the martyr's own words. And this is very unusual. Usually yep. early Christian martyrdom stories are very short, usually. They're also very similar a lot of Quite formulaic. Yeah. Uh, and whether or not that formula is because it's kind of like a martyr story and everyone expects it to unfold in a certain <laughs> way, or whether or not it is partially is formulaic because Roman court proceedings are formulaic or kind of... Mm. 
um, there's also a lot of people think that there was actually some kind of, not formal training would be exaggerated, but like you had to prepare yourself to be able to make a good confession when you're under duress. Okay. Right. So a lot of the martyrs, uh, yeah, they worry about, they say make, making a good confession. Yeah. And so whether or not there was kind of like, this is what you say. Yep. So you like, you're yeah, panicking. You get, you get a little pre-rehearsed. It's, yeah, it's stressful. Yeah. This is what you say. Um, that actually, which makes sense. Yeah, and often to an it, extent. Yeah, yeah, and often it does have um, some of it has, sounds kind of like the creed. Yeah, which also so would which, make sense. which makes I mean, sense. That's the most the essentials of the faith. Right. It does strike some problems with uh, when Christ says, "Do not worry about what you're going to say." <laughs> <laughs> for the Holy Spirit will speak to you. But well, they're not worried because way, they have the creed. Prepared. They have the creed written on their <laughs> the heart. Creed, right, you know? that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> okay, so we have this passion of perpetual felicity. Where do we go from there? Okay, so I what's guess, going on in the context of the time? Why? What? What is the story? Right. So that's yeah. Us? That's that's helpful to start with that. Okay, so sometimes uh, that story of kind of early Christian martyrdom or persecution sometimes people get like a really flat version of it where it's like the romans are not going around dragging everyone out yep. of their houses and that's not really accurate to mm-hmm. what was happening especially in the early period so there are two formal persecutions of christians by emperors um the first one is uh why am i blanking decius no decius oh. is the first one so decius particularly targeted the clergy mm-hmm. makes sense and then the great persecution is under the Emperor Diocletian. Okay. So that's in the 4th century. We're talking mm-hmm. in the 100 years before that. Okay. So persecution of Christians at this time is kind of like local and sporadic. Mm-hmm. Romans were very suspicious of Christians uh, because they met in secret. They didn't worship the Roman gods, which mm-hmm. is considered essentially a security risk, right, mm-hmm. if you don't worship the gods properly. Um, and they were kind of obstinate under mm-hmm. pressure. They wouldn't renounce, recant yeah. the faith. So there's a very famous letter uh, written by an emperor in the Eastern Empire, Pliny, to the Emperor Trajan about early Christian persecution. And he's like, I don't know what to do with these people. <laughs> I've got these Christians. They seem to be doing suspicious things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Should they be punished simply for confessing the name Christian? Should they be punished for offenses that are charged mm-hmm. to the name? Like, how do I deal with these people? So then he says, like, if I, you know, if it comes to my attention that there are Christians, I question them. If they, were, I give them a chance to recant the faith. If they don't recant the faith, then then I punish them because obviously they got something to hide, kind of yeah. thing. Um, and so this is kind of an example. That's this period is what's this going is an on. example. Of what's going on in this period where it's like, and then he says, if people come to me with a list of people they say are Christians, like I'm not looking into that because <laughs> I'm not that, gonna hunt them down. Yeah, because you know people are slandering each other. They're telling me, oh, there's yeah. Christians. It's <laughs> basically like if the problem hits you right in the face, fine, I'll address it. But it's not an active persecution, right? So, and we don't. That, obviously, Pliny's letter is in a different part of the empire, so we don't know yeah. exactly what's going on in the context of North Africa, but some kind of local yeah. persecution. So, actually, the passion kind of starts. In the, in the middle of things, like the beginning of the Passion, they're already under arrest. Okay. So we don't know, we don't know, why. We yeah. don't know why or exactly what, or if they're arrested at church. Like, we don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're they're under arrest, and Perpetua is actually a catechumen, so she has not been baptized. Okay. Um, and she is baptized while under arrest. And then we have a really interesting kind of exchanges with her pagan father, who wants okay. her to renounce the faith. Um, Do we part- know how old she is? Uh, I don't know if they say exactly how old she is. I think, um, but she's young. She yeah. has she has a young child. Okay. So she has a new a newborn who's mm-hmm. still breastfeeding. Okay. Um, while she's under arrest, and so her father's trying to convince her to recant the faith for the sake of her child. Mm-hmm. And so it's all really interesting. I mean, a psychology of martyrdom that you wouldn't normally have any window into in the early church mm-hmm. of 
her father trying to say, like, it's not worth it for your mm-hmm. family. Have pity on me, yep. you know, and her sort of steadfast faith in refusing to do that. And it's, I mean, it's really remarkable to think of how how strongly, how strong her faith is and how strongly she identifies as Christian. Mm-hmm. Even though she's a catechumen and this yep. is a relatively new faith, um, she's really very secure in the faith. There's... Um, and and part of that has to do with what she considers the name the name Christian. So we mm. take the name Christian for granted, mm-hmm. uh, but because they're persecuted for the sake of the name, and you consider when you're baptized, you you receive right, the name the of name, Christ, yeah. right? Augustine says not we're not only called Christians but Christ Himself. So you have this conformity to Christ in baptism, and her she says to her father like, well that vase over there or whatever, you you can you call it whatever you want, and he says no, and she's like, well I'm a Christian. That's so good. She's like, you can't, I can't be called anything else, right? So that's the questioning, like, are you a Christian? Yeah. And they say, I am. So she's like, is, I can't say something I'm not. I can't not. say I'm yeah. something I'm not, so I am a Christian. And it's just so remarkable, too. She has a young child. Like, the the impulse to be like, I can I can justify renouncing this for the sake of saving my child, but she's like, that, you know, this is someone who's truly thinking of the things above, not of the earth. Totally, and it's like a really interesting cultural picture because some people who critique sort of the psychology of early Christian martyrdom, they like side with the, they side with the Romans. They side with the Romans because the Romans are like, you guys are weird. Like, and the Romans are like, (laughs) the Romans are like literally often trying to help them get out of it. Like, they're like, I don't want to kill you. Like, just, just throw me a bone here. Like, yeah, just, they're like, just offer, they're like, just offer a little bit yeah. of wine. Nobody's going to like. Yeah, or in the Maccabees, like, just eat, put a little bit of pork in your mouth and then spit it out for all I care. Yeah, like, for, it's yeah. not a big deal. Like, all you have yeah. to do is show that you're not, like, against the emperor, right? So just, just like, there's there's another one around this period of, he's, he's a ro- veteran of the Roman army, so he mm-hmm. really does not want to, you know, kill him. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to punish him. He's a veteran, right? So this is, like, very important. And he's like, He's like, nobody, people don't know your heart's not in it and like that you don't really mean it. Just yep. do it. Yep. And so for them to be like, this often happens in our own life, right? Where the earthly stakes are low. Yeah. Right? The earthly stakes right. are like nobody's looking, nobody really cares. But like to have that properly oriented, like, no, he, this is the devil. Mm-hmm. And that's how Perpetua sees it. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean like Romans are possessed by the devil or no. whatever, but she's like, this is the way that the devil works. The devil says, it's not a big deal. Just, just take the fruit. Just take the fruit. Like, God will forgive you. Like, what is God holding out on you? Who cares? Just a piece of fruit, right? It doesn't, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, and so for them, and they see this so clearly. Perpetua sees this so clearly as spiritual combat. So another reason the text is very famous is because Perpetua records a series of visions that she has while in prison. Okay. And they really clearly illustrate to her the nature of the sort of spiritual combat that she's engaging in. So in the first vision, um, she sees a dragon at the bottom of a ladder, mm-hmm. and the ladder is covered in weapons. And she has asked for a she's asked for a vision that will help reveal the fate of her and the other people under arrest. Mm-hmm. So in the vision, um, sort of her catechist calls to her, Perpetua, don't have don't fear, and she steps on the head of the dragon, climbs up this ladder into heaven, into the basically the Garden of Eden, where a shepherd, Jesus, gives her something to eat. Mm-hmm. And she says, Amen, and she's sort of surrounded by the heavenly court. Mm-hmm. So she wakes up and says she knows she'll die a martyr. Uh, mm-hmm. And so she has, so she, and she conveys that to the others, like this is going to be uh, a glorious combat. And then her, I'll, I'll skip over the second vision for now. In the third vision, she sees herself transformed into a warrior where she mm-hmm. battles against an enormous gladiator who's like mm-hmm. super tall and beats him. And she says, I knew I would fight the devil and win. And so this is like, I mean, to us now, like it's easy to look back and be like, martyrdom's glorious. But like at the time when people are saying like, 
Yep. This doesn't matter. Like yep. you're dying for nothing, yep. <laughs> you know, and to see it as like, no, this is the devil confronting this new faith. Mm-hmm. And like to renounce Christ is to renounce everything. Yep. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Yeah. There's, there's no justifying. There's no it. justifying. Yeah. I can't do it. Um, and for her to see that as spiritual battle with the devil and winning, it really is to see the world from the perspective of the cross because the cross just looks like not a victory. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That just that doesn't look like victory over the devil, and yet we have a crucifix in all of our churches because we see this. This is God's triumph mm-hmm. over the sin of the world, mm-hmm. uh, and so to to be able to see the world with that, like this, to everyone in the world, this is going to look like a humiliating death and defeat for no reason. But she knows because of her her visions, her faith, and her visions that no, this is combat with the devil, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be victorious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's very powerful. And how much our nature. Just once, you know, we are uh, children of the fall, so to speak. We, our nature rebels against the cross. And so we have to battle against our own nature uh, and ask for the grace to accept those things. Because it's like, yeah, I we want to compromise on everything. Uh, you you want to compromise on your penances. You want to compromise on your promises to the Lord. You want to compromise on prayer. You want to compromise on all these little things. And it's so easy to just be like, it's okay. It's okay. And it's hard, <laughs> like in the face of people who aren't, there's a lot of people who are not like atheists necessarily, not necessarily like out to get Christians, but they just don't care about religion yeah. or they don't understand why it's a big deal. So to, like, yep. why do you have to leave the family gathering to go to mass? Why yeah. do you have to like do these things? And it can just seem, you can just seem like you're being holier than thou. And it can be very easy yep. to sort of, yeah, make those compromises. Yeah. But I think we forget too, like we forget the dignity to which our baptism calls us. I mean, if you're baptized under arrest, you're not going to forget the dignity of you're your not. baptism. Because, and, yeah, you know what you, you've given up a lot to be there. Right. And I mean, f- in this time period, of course, you couldn't be at the Eucharistic Assembly unless you were baptized. Yeah. So she, when she's baptized, she prays in the community for the first time. And she says it. So Tertullian tells us elsewhere um, that, you know, the newly baptized ask for special graces mm-hmm. after their baptism in the assembly. And she asks for grace to persist in martyrdom. And so it's like... All, all of us are called to martyrdom by our baptism. We're mm-hmm. called to die with Christ. Um, but I think the connection between that is not as palpable necessarily no. as it is for them. Mm-hmm. But especially especially in North African Christianity, there's a very close relationship between baptism and martyrdom. And, like, you know what you're signing yourself up for. Yeah, that was an active reality. It was an active yeah. possibility. And, you know, some historians like to be like, well, they're, like, Percentage-wise, not that many people are martyred. And you're like, well... Yeah, but the, having people martyred around you at all means, like, <laughs> you like, know you're like, this yeah, could be. This could be me. And it's like, it's. I mean, technically that's true. If there's 100 Christians and only one is martyred, that's not percentage-wise a lot. But, like, if you're in a parish, let's say, of 2,000 people mm-hmm. and 20 people yeah. are martyred, that's has an enormous psychological that's impact, huge. right? That's a really big well, deal. Like in t- you know, today we've often heard the statistic that there's more martyrs in the 21st century than in all the centuries leading up. But, you know, for us, most of the, that's not in the United States. They're in Africa not anybody we know. or China or other parts of the world. So it's like for those people there in Africa, in Asia, in these areas, it's like it, it, for people that are right now today in the catechumenal that they're coming to the church and they know that a friend of somebody was just martyred, you better believe they're like, I know full well what I am. Exactly. And if we're thinking about like Cyprian, who's a famous North African bishop in the third century, that's not that long after this. Like he's going to be in living memory of people who knew these martyrs. And so, you know, he talks about 
essentially the Eucharist as being a very real pledge to martyrdom. Because if you receive the Eucharist first thing in the morning and people smell the smell of wine on your breath, they might know you're Christian. Because why would you? Yep. So it's like, it's, there's like a really palpable connection between baptism, Eucharist, Gotta and martyrdom. Going to bring it back. Tertullian elsewhere talks about, he, <sighs> he's summarizing the creed and how like everyone holds a creed in common. And then at the end of the creed, he summarizes the rites of initiation. So he says, you know, the church baptizes with water, um, lays on hands, feeds with the Eucharist, and exhorts to martyrdom. And like, so I've often wondered like does he mean literally yeah like what is like is that about? literally part of the right yeah, of initiation or to, like, uh, yeah, or, or to like die with christ today and whatever that may like, or is it just the, the understanding that like the right of initiation is the exhortation to yeah. martyrdom um and this this continues right even after the time of actual martyrdom the idea of like white martyrdom mm-hmm. obviously they don't refer to it that way but the idea that monasticism is the kind of like proxy martyrdom of the next time period after, you know, so the persecution of Diocletian. Because just looking to die to the world. They're just looking to die to the world. And you know what? Martyrdom's the easy way out because you literally just die. <sighs> what is martyrdom for us today in the United <laughs> States? Good good question. Oh. So so we should probably mention Felicity. Go on to I don't Felicity. Wanna, I don't want to leave We Felicity. can't leave out. I don't she's leave in, she's out. in the feast day. It's true. So Felicity is not obviously, uh, there's not as much talked about. It's mm-hmm. mostly Perpetua in her prison diary and kind of her um, martyrdom, but Felicity is, so Perpetua is kind of a noble woman. Felicity is her servant. Mm-hmm. Um, Felicity is pregnant when she's arrested, and she, the, all of the people under arrest pray that she will go into labor early mm-hmm. because otherwise she would not be put to death at the same time as the rest of them uh, because Romans wouldn't kill a pregnant woman. Oh. Right? Because, the ba- I mean, under Roman law, the baby is the property of the father. Interesting. Right? So you're not okay. going to kill a pregnant woman until she's given birth because the baby. Is the women would kill the baby. Interesting. Um, but if she wasn't killed with the Christians, then she would have gone into the arena with like common criminals. So okay. she would have been all alone. So they pray that she will have the baby early, and she does. She goes into labor and delivers, and then it says she, she the baby's raised by her sister, who is a believer. Um, and the guard sort of like mocks her and says like, "Oh, you're crying out in so much pain. Like, how are you going to manage to like hold up under torture, mm-hmm. basically?" Uh, and she. Answer is very beautifully like now I suffer for my own sake, but then another one will be suffering in me. Come on, so That's she pretty yeah. Good. I mean, it's just it's beautiful because we obviously mm. we're not talking about someone who has a super sophisticated right. theological She's, understanding, yep. but she understands that like this is martyrdom for Christ and it's unity with Christ. It's uh, yeah, Christ it's who will conformity suffer. Conformity to the Christ on the cross. Yeah. And that yeah, and that'll actually and that, be easier. The, a mystical union, yeah, it, that there is. Something. Although having given birth myself, like I don't know that martyrdom could be that much more painful. Anyway, yeah. she'll be fine. <laughs> she'll make it. She'll yeah. be great. It'll be good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is this is an incredible uh, story. It and, is incredible. And they have a also a very strong understanding in North Africa and in the story itself of martyrdom also as a second sort of baptism in blood. Mm-hmm. And so that idea of yeah, baptism and then other baptism. So Tertullian talks about the two types of baptism flowing from the side of Christ and the cross, the water mm-hmm. and the blood. And so we we think about we often think about that as the institution of the sacraments, uh, but they also saw it as kind of like the twofold mm-hmm. sacrament of baptism. Mm-hmm. Something that strikes me all the time when I read stories from the early church or when we're doing these Catholic saint episodes is like the treasure that they understood that they had in the creed. I'm always struck by this because today it's like we have the creed, we have the 500-page catechism. We have a million theological books. Uh, and it's so easy to just, like, 
uh, just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, which is a beautiful thing. And it's a tremendous gift that we get to do that through the, the faith of the church. But that like they had just the creed and it was like, that's who I am. Like, mm-hmm. this is what I believe. And it was like such a adherence to that. Yeah. And I think part of that, you're like hitting on one of my absolute favorite topics, <laughs> early Christian yeah. liturgy. So um, part of the reason for that is because the creed is so closely linked to baptism. Yeah. Right. So they, actually, historically, the creed was probably developed as a baptismal creed. It says that in the catechism as well. So the idea is like you, the creed is handed over to you. You learn the creed, you write it on your heart, and then mm-hmm. in order to be baptized, you produce the creed. So we still have this in the yeah. baptismal, right? Like, do you believe in God the Except Father? Except you don't do you really, re- <laughs> right. you don't really so, recite the whole thing. You just say yes. Right. Well, and they do that. They probably did that in North Africa as well. It, yeah. was, a, it was a, do you believe? Okay, yes. Do it. you believe? You didn't yes. have to memorize the... Right. Well, you... Probably. You who knew the creed. The, who is the senator in Augustine's Confessions? Oh, Victor Rhinus? Yes. He's not a senator, but... Whatever he is. He's a public figure. Yes, he's a public figure, yeah. But I always... Re- I, I imagine that he, though, isn't he, like, proclaiming the yes, creed? Yes, he is proclaiming so that, the creed. Okay. Yeah, so by, August- that, so by Augustine's time, it would be the like handing over the creed. Like, you're standing up, and you're like, this you memorize is it. it. Yeah. And, I mean, we still do that That's now pretty, in yeah. adult adult baptism, right? Or even... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I came into the church, I had to recite the creed. I don't think I everybody. did. <laughs> No. I think I just gave the, do you believe in God the Father? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I, w- I remember. Oh, you know what? That's not true. <laughs> the, the DRE, I had a wonderful RCI experience, not trying to knock it here. Uh, the DRE would say the article, you would repeat it. So you didn't have to like have fully memorized. memorize all 12 articles. Okay. They would say an article, you would say an article. Well, our standards are just lower. They are lower. I'm like, <laughs> bring it back. <laughs> Writing it on your heart. Bring it back. Producing it. But yeah, I mean, but that idea that this is... But the idea that this is part, like that the creed and your identity in Christ are so closely related yeah. is like this, this is the moment you're prepared for. Some early documents suggest the catechumenate is years. We don't know yeah. how, exactly how long the catechumenate was, but you know, you profess the creed and then you're baptized. And if you haven't ever been in the Eucharistic assembly, mm-hmm. the idea of like I mean, the psychological impact of like full initiation and then, you know, being there for the first time. It's kind of hard to overstate. Like we take it yeah. for granted. No, we do. We don't. The mystery is right. We take it, it for granted. Removed. And, and you know, if if you ever go to the Byzantine liturgy, they still have the part where they shout, "The doors, the doors!" Yeah. Right. And that would be the part where the catechumens would not be allowed, they, and they would yeah. close the doors. I think we should kick people out of mass. No, I'm Bring it back. It's not secret. I do love that there is now more of a move to remove the catechumens out after the liturgy of the word before the liturgy of the Eucharist. This is, it's great. It's inspiring. These are some of my heroic. absolute favorite saints. This is one of my absolute favorite texts from the early church. It's not very it's long. Anybody can read it. So if you want to go look up the Passion of Perpetual and Felicity and read it, I think you will find it very inspiring. I agree. And Dr. Klein, you have a short course called Martyrs and Monastics, and I believe you talk about them. Yeah. In so there? in that short course, yeah, I talk a lot about a lot of this stuff more in depth, like how martyrdom is related to monasticism. Um, then I have some examples of martyrs and monastics from the early period from different places in the empire, including Petra and Felicity. So check that out. Uh, Dr. Klein, thank you. It was a pleasure. It was wonderful. We will see you next time on Catholic Saints. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustan Institute and Ignatius Press, with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, ebooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.